Hello, and welcome to the Faith School Podcast. This podcast is for women of faith who are ready to put their faith into action in every area of their life and to claim the name of Kingdom Builder. This practical podcast is not just a list of how-tos, but it's here to prompt you to take action and adopt the Kingdom way of life. Surrender to a holy God. My name is Leah, and I'm joining you in the messy middle of a surrendered faith. Come on in, take a seat. Class is now in session. To those of you who are new to the podcast, welcome. And to my old faithfuls, I never realized I did that, faithfuls. Yeah, you get it. Welcome back. For those of you who don't know, I try to batch record episodes so that I'm good to go without scheduling episodes. That does take a lot of time to do that, so we try to batch it. And the last time I batched was in November and December, and now I have episodes literally until the end of May, so we are good to go for a long time. And originally, this week we planned to have Mary Morantz on the show. But I had this episode in the archives as well, and I felt that it was really appropriate to place here this week. It seems like it was God who encouraged me to have this conversation before I even knew how much I actually really needed it and how I know a lot of you need it too. With the disappointing news of some of our Christian heroes abusing their power that are coming to light, um, it seems like this is the episode that we need right now. I know for myself, the confirmations of Ravi Zacharias' abuse of power really did shake me, and perhaps you're feeling the same as me, and perhaps you're having a difficult time separating the brokenness of the people of Christ from Jesus himself. Or perhaps you are personally a victim of abuse within the church, and I'm so sorry that you went through that. Or maybe you're just wondering how does this type of behavior go on for so long, and what can we do to stop it? Wherever you are in the conversation, I hope that you can listen to this episode and really feel God's hand and see clearly the ways of Jesus. My guest today is an internationally recognized psychologist and counselor with 47 years of experience. She speaks regularly on abuse and trauma all over the world, directs her own counseling practice in Jenkintown, Pennsylvania, and co-founded the Global Trauma Recovery Institute at Biblical Theological Seminary. My guest is also on the board of GRACE, Godly Response to Abuse in a Christian Environment and co-chairs the American Bible Society's Trauma Advisory Council. She has authored or co-authored numerous books, including Counseling Survivors of Sexual Abuse, On the Threshold of Hope, and Suffering in the Heart of God, How Trauma Destroys and Christ Restores. Please welcome Diane Langberg. Diane talks to me today about the realities of power and abuse in the church, how our posture towards power needs to change, and where do we go from here? I believe this conversation will be inclusive of a lot of people's, maybe even everyone's questions and concerns. And one thing that I think that you will need to listen for is her concern with how we build God's kingdom. It was a really important point that even I needed a reminder for. So how do we actually build God's kingdom in a way that is still the way of Jesus? On another note, as many of you will know, I have been on a social media fast the last few weeks and it has been awesome. There are a few perks of being off of social that I have really enjoyed. Not only do I have more time, feel more at peace and distance from a lot of the negativity circulating online, but I've also had more inspiration and time from my email list. This is turning out to be one of my favorite places that we are serving you right now. I love to send quick tips, 
our legendary Faith Fun Finds email, as well as video teachings and encouragements like the latest teaching I did on faith fatigue. Don't worry, I will link it in the show notes so you can get just a taste of what I send out. Not to mention, email exclusive announcements and discounts to our i68 shop, where you'll find all sorts of faith building templates and workbooks. Don't miss on all that we are doing over here on the email list. Join the list through the link in our show notes. All right, let's welcome the lovely Diane Langberg. Welcome, Diane. I am so honored that you are here. I'm excited to talk about what we're going to talk about today with power and authority and the church. I think this is fascinating. And so I would love if you would just come on in here, tell us what are some of your roles right now and where are you recording from? I am recording from my home, uh, just north of the city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, And I'm recording from here instead of my office because the office has been shut down since March because of Mm. the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the therapists that work there and myself, we're all doing virtual stuff. And in case anybody's interested, it is not the same as face-to-face. Yeah. No, it's really increased a sense of the value of being together in the flesh. Mm-hmm. Uh, with people, yeah, you know, sitting with and things like that, as opposed to looking at a screen. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad we can do that because it's a very stressful time. But yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Well, I would love to just jump on in here and and ask first and foremost. I'll say that your book title is "Redeeming Power: Understanding Authority and Abuse in the Church." This is super fascinating to me, um, and I am so excited for people to hopefully grab the book, but then also just like dig into the topic. But how did you first become interested in this topic in particular? Well, in many ways, I would have to say it found me. I'm a psychologist and have worked with people therapeutically for coming on close to 50 years. Mm. And most of that work has been with traumatized people. So when I started out, there wasn't even a diagnosis for post-traumatic stress disorder. So I didn't know they were traumatized. Nobody was teaching about that. Right. And then I started out with the Vietnam vets and I started out with women who lived with violent men Mm. and realized somewhere along the way that there was more than one kind of war zone. Yeah. And sometimes homes were war zones. And as I have learned as the years went by, sometimes churches are war zones. Mm -hmm. So I came this way because it sat in front of me and I didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't really literature on things like sexual abuse and domestic violence very much back then. And so I learned from the people that I saw and didn't even really understand how much power was an issue in any kind of abuse for a long time. And I also have worked with a lot of pastors through the years. And most of them came because they were beaten up in various ways by the work that they were doing. But there were also pastors who came who had been abusive or misused their power in many ways. And so it was through people who sat with me that I began to realize this is a factor. It's a huge factor. Nobody's talking about it. Mm -hmm. And we need to look at it, particularly given the one we follow who has all power became a baby. So (laughs) Mm -hmm. we've missed something here. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing how the Lord brings us to the work that we need to do and the topics that we need to really dig into the themes that we need to dig into. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, I want to get everyone on the same page and really just make sure that we have a clear understanding of when we say power, what that really means in the way that we're going to be talking about today. 
let me just back up just a tiny bit. Uh, a lot of what I have to say, both about abuse in other books, but also in this one about power, has its roots, not surprisingly, in the book of Genesis. Mm. The fact that God created us in his image, and he is the God of power. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he said to Adam and Eve, rule and subdue the earth. Those are power words. Mm-hmm. I also want to make note that he did not tell them to rule and subdue each other. Mm-hmm. So it was not to be a human to human thing so much as a partnership where the rule was of the earth. Obviously, that all got blown up with the fall. Right. So power is part of who we are as part of the image of God, as is relationship, as is voice. There are many ways that who God is shows up in who humans are. When I talk about power, the most basic definition of it is to have an impact. Mm-hmm. And I pretty much start the book out with the fact that a newborn infant has tremendous power, uh, at least in a healthy home. Because you have two utterly exhausted human beings who desperately need sleep, who are finally getting it, and a two-week-old, three-week-old baby can cry, and they jump out of bed and run down the hall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's power. Yeah, It's influence. It's doing something, whether you chose to or not, that affects another person and what they do. Mm-hmm. And so if an infant has it, then, you know, we all have it because that's the most vulnerable human being that there is. So the most vulnerable among us have power also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I remember reading that and thinking when my son even breathed funny, I was like, yes, out of bed. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, that answers my next question, which is just that everyone has power. And you you mentioned that even the most vulnerable of us have power. Do you want to expand on that at all or to add anything to that? Well, I think we probably tend to see those as two different things, which of course they are. But when we feel vulnerable, we feel like we don't have power. And there are many situations where someone else has it and we don't. And that's a true thing. Mm-hmm. The word vulnerable comes from a Latin word that means to wound. Mm. And you go back to the infant. I mean, that is a human that is very easily wounded by those who have power in response to the infant's power. And so it's just important to see how all of those things shift all of the time. The infant gets two adults up, but the two adults have way more power than that infant to neglect, to hurt, to care for. You know, they have to choose how they're going to use their power with that influence and effect. So it goes back and forth between humans all the time. And the same person can be very powerful and very vulnerable at the same time. So it can get confusing and make relationships very complicated. Yeah, absolutely. Well, then if we're looking at power then, and and as a Christ follower, I'm wondering what should power really look like if it is made perfect through Christ? What would power really look like? Well, it looks like an incarnation. Mm. Again, you, you think about Jesus' last words at the end of Matthew and stuff as he's leaving. All power has been given to me. He didn't say 90%. He didn't say 50%. All power has been given to me. Therefore, you go. And so The power is his, and just as he used his power when he was here on earth, which could have blown the whole thing up if he'd wanted to, 
He used his power to care for the least of these, to speak the truth to power that was doing damage, just in scores of ways. But he did it by becoming little. He did it by serving. He did it by putting on flesh. And when we think of having power from God, number one, we seem to easily forget that it's actually derivative. It's not ours, it's his, and he's sharing it with us. Mm-hmm. It's ours. Yeah. And it's only to be used in his name. And what that literally means is in his character. So it isn't just that I say the name of God in some way, but that I actually in the flesh embody the character of Christ in my use of power. Mm. That's what it looks like. And he did it backwards from the human way. He didn't lord it over anyone, though he was Lord. Right. That is beautiful. I mean, that should change the way we pray our prayers even. I mean, that is really, really powerful. I love that. All right. So going to into a little bit of the church then, you mentioned that in the reading that the church is meant to be a sanctuary for the vulnerable, but you're saying it's become a sanctuary for the powerful. So what do you mean by that specifically? Well, the idea of a sanctuary or a refuge goes way back all the way into the Old Testament with Mm -hmm. the refuge cities that were created for those to flee to and be safe. And our God is called a refuge for us. So again, part of it is the incarnational piece of being a refuge here as individuals, but also collectively, which is Mm -hmm. the church. And if our head is a refuge, the body follows the head. If, if my head tells my legs to stand up right now, if I'm healthy, that's what they're supposed to do, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So we're to follow our refuge by being a refuge for others. What has often happened all through history, if, if you go back through church history, not just now, but is that the church has easily been seduced into thinking that power is to have external trappings like numbers or money or buildings or whatever. And that the more power you have, the more God is there. But he does not manifest himself in those ways. He did not do that when he was here. And so I think the church has often protected the system and the externals rather than the lambs. So a lamb runs to the refuge of the church because they're being beaten at home, because they're being sexually abused by somebody in the church or any number of things. And that system works as one unit to protect the system, Yeah. which that's why we cover things up. That's why we don't look at them. That's why we defend people who abuse or protect their position because we want the externals and the power of that rather than the power of Christ who incarnates the character of Christ mm-hmm. or the lambs. Yeah, that's beautiful. Just wanting to follow Christ in that way and making sure that we are like a space for vulnerable people. I just, I have not personally experienced that, but I've heard people that have experienced that. I've read lots of stories of people who have experienced it and it makes me so mad and sad and grieved that the capital C church, that it has misrepresented the God that I follow or the Jesus that I follow and the way that we have yeah, shepherded the sheep. (laughs) It's just, uh, I think that's why I just want to address this in this interview is it really breaks my heart. It Mm -hmm. really breaks me. Yes. And Mm -hmm. it should. Mm -hmm. And it breaks God's. 
And part of entering into the suffering of others in that way, I think, is part of the fellowship of his sufferings. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you if you think about him here and the cross, he bore the sin of the wolves and he bore the wounds of the sheep. Yeah. Well, as people in leadership, I wanna I wanna speak to the rest of the church body as well, but first off, people that are in leadership. How do we kind of honestly start to evaluate and examine what that misuse of power could look like in their own church? Well, I suspect that most people in churches have had some knowledge or personal experience where they are aware that somebody who was in charge of things hurt vulnerable people and nothing was done. And so it may be really fuzzy. They may not have all the details. They may not, whatever. But we need to become students of those places mm-hmm. and understand, number one, what it was that troubled us. What did we see or hear? What was our response? What was the response of the institution or organization or family where it occurred? Mm-hmm. And begin to read about these things so we have ways of thinking about them. Because our preference often is to see it and ignore it because it's so disturbing. Mm-hmm. And if it is something like abuse by someone we respect, we don't want it to be true. Mm-hmm. It, does, it does tremendous damage to face those facts, to our, the things that we think are important or that we admire or whatever they are. Mm-hmm. The things that have been done in God's name. I mean, how do people who use God's name and do things in his name turn around and hurt little children? Mm-hmm. We don't want that to be a possibility. Because if it's a possibility, then we're not safe. Mm-hmm. So there's everything within us to deny it. It's already there. Then I talk a lot in the book about deception and how it starts with the deception of the self. You know, that person is so nice. They, they're they so good. They've done these things for God. All those, they helped me. They blessed me. It can't be true. Doesn't mean it is true or isn't true. But the fact is we've already rejected any exploration of that. Because mm-hmm. we feel safer, better, and get to keep our figures of admiration without disturbance. Right. Yeah. Something that my husband and I have talked about a little bit this year, just with everything going on. I mean, the Bible is so good at being honest about what was happening at the time. So it showed kind of the dark. So let's say someone like David, right? It showed the kind of the dark parts of who he was, but then it also showed the way that he followed Jesus and that he was you know, faithful to him, that it was honest. It was an honest writing of his history. And I find for myself, I almost have a hard time with that just because of what you said. It's like, well, I admire that person and I want the best to be true of them instead of the most honest truth of them, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. I found that that wrestling even within myself. Yes, Um, it's in all of us mm -hmm. because you see, we are made for God, Mm. who is perfection. Right. That's what we're made for, who we're made for. Mm -hmm. And we long for that. We seek it here. It's not here. We seek it in humans. We get tastes of it. It's the best any of us can get or give, frankly. Mm-hmm. But we, we want somebody else to be it. And we feel better if they are. We feel hopeful. We feel safer. We Whatever. 
Mm-hmm. But the other thing I think that is so often missing in these situations and in the church is the church is not loving abusers. Mm. Because if you have somebody you love and you find out they have aggressive cancer, you're going to encourage them to go through terrible treatment because you love them. Mm-hmm. We don't do that with abuse. Okay. Yeah. We don't want them to go through the terrible treatment. We want somebody to say what happened and this person to cry a little bit and say they're sorry and then make it all better. If you did that to cancer, they'd all drop dead. Right. You, you, you know, it's a cancer. Sin is a cancer, any kind, not just abuse. Mm-hmm. And when you love people who are full of a disease that can be stopped, you do everything you can to stop it. Or if you can't stop it, to relieve some of the pain until it's over. I mean, in other words, you don't ignore it. That's not what love does. If God ignored the cancer of sin in us, he never would have come. Mm -hmm. So if there is something that we could do about it, what would those steps look like from a leadership perspective? Well, it begins here. So part of what it would look like is asking God, of course, you know, Help me understand how I use power. Because a lot of times we don't even pay any attention to how we use power. We just assume we're doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. And if we aren't, we tell ourselves we are because of some other reason. (laughs) We we deceive ourselves. Mm -hmm. So obviously it starts with the the heart and asking God to show us. But the part of the way he shows us is through other people. Mm -hmm. So suppose a pastor sat down with his staff as a group and said, I've been convicted to think about this. I want to hear from you what it's like to work for me. Yeah. Where are the places I've hurt you that you have been afraid to tell me? Mm-hmm. And if they've been afraid, recognizing they're not all going to run to the front to tell them why because they're still afraid. Yeah. What am I doing that makes you afraid to tell me? Mm. Help me see myself. Ask our spouses. Mm-hmm. And most people don't have the vocabulary. So part of what's happening with the book is that a lot of churches and leadership are reading it and doing a book discussion with it. So they understand the concept before they ask the questions. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then their self-examination obviously has some light in it. It's not just, I can't think of anything I've ever done. I mean, if you can't think of anything you've ever done to abuse power, <laughs> you've missed it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's what we, I mean, all you have to do is have two toddlers in the house. And they both want the same block. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the big guy's going to win. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, That's right. Welcome to the human race. And for male leaders to ask females, what's it like to work with me? Mm-hmm. How do you feel as a woman in this system? Not only in terms of me, but other men in the system. Mm-hmm. Same thing in marriages. Yeah, Turn the light on. We have to be willing to have the light turn on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's powerful. A lot of asking the right questions, not being afraid to ask the right questions. Yes, or yeah. doing it even if you are afraid. <laughs> yes, ex- that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And to watch your response, you know, so somebody says, well, actually, when you're critical, it's really harmful. And you seem to use words that make me feel silent. Well, I don't want you to be silent. I want you to speak up. There's a problem right there. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. So we have to be self-aware as we do that and invite and listen. And we also have to be aware when we do that as somebody describing it to someone else that when they do that, they quit being safe right there. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. And we have to decide what to do. That's so good. Now, there was a section in your book about Christendom being seduced by power. Mm-hmm. I think this is really interesting. So I would love if you could expand on that. How has Christendom been seduced by power? 
Well, again, if you do some reading in church history, you'll see that this is not a new idea. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We tend to believe that bigger and better is more holy. Yeah. We think that bigger results are proof of holiness. So if you're in a little tiny church and one person comes to Christ in three years and you're in another church and a thousand people come to Christ in six months, this is better. Right. So we measure things not by character, but by outcome or amounts of or things like that. Mm-hmm. And I think the church does this over and over again, and certainly not just now, but if you just think about it from the standpoint, again, of being incarnational and reflecting the character of Christ, which is made very clear in Galatians 5, you know, in terms of the spirit, where the spirit is mm-hmm. loving well, bringing peace, not turmoil, all these things, self-control, yeah. <laughs> you know, when people don't manifest those as fruit, Christendom is not God's kingdom. They can call it that. They can say he's blessing because of all the money coming in and the numbers of people in the pews. They can say anything they want. But if it doesn't look like that fruit, it's not from him. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so good. And there's an interesting point in there about following certain leaders. And I feel like in Christian culture right now, especially with social media and everything, it's like we are really attracted to people who have a large platform, who have a large following even though, you know, we don't know them personally, we don't know what their personal lives are like. Or we do and ignore it. Well, that's, yeah, exactly. I mean, that happens too. Yeah. Also, like, we don't always know exactly what their whole theology is like either, but yet we are attracted because they are bringing in huge numbers. It was a good check for myself too, to Mm -hmm. be like, okay, like, I'm following Jesus. And well, some of their stuff might be helpful. Ultimately, I'm following him. And I, yes. I found that within myself for lots of other things, but that was a good reminder for me. So Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's in all of us. We need continual reminders. Mm-hmm. If you're somebody who loves to learn and study, you find somebody with tremendous knowledge and a verbal presence with verbal power to articulate these truths from the scripture that you love, you quit looking. Mm-hmm. You think that's it. Yeah. It may be it. <laughs> But it's never going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. He was here once. <laughs> That's right. There's no one else like him. Hey, man, <laughs> there is absolutely no one like the God that we serve. I would love then if we were to talk a little bit more about redeeming power. If we were to kind of in a perfect world, and we kind of talked a little bit about it, that like we have to recognize that Jesus has the only one that has true power and has all the power. But if we're to redeem power, where should we start? With our own hearts. Mm -hmm. And then from that, in terms of figuring out what we love or think we must have or seek or those things, we not only have to do that, but then we have to see what's flowing out of it. And we are prone to measure ourselves externally, just like we were talking about Christen. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing this and it has good results, or I'm doing this and people are very complimentary and say it's helped them a lot, or I'm, you know, whatever it is, I'm doing this and people say they learned a lot from me. Mm -hmm. We measure ourselves externally. So we, we often don't really look at our hearts and we don't ask God to help us measure ourselves according to who his son is. Mm. We really do that and listen, we'll end up flat on the floor. Yeah, that's really good. So on the podcast, we talk a lot about building God's kingdom. And so 
I would like to know then what does it look like to use power properly in its rightful place to build God's kingdom? Well, again, you go back to him in the gospels and his kingdom, which was not very many people, mm-hmm. all of whom ran away, most of them anyway, but it flourished. It's still here. It was just, just I mean, if you think about who he was on an earthly level, it's really quite remarkable. Mm-hmm. You know, born in a manger and a carpenter, and <laughs> you and I are talking about living our lives according to him. Right. <laughs> no, it's, it's, I mean, really, that doesn't make any human sense at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. I am careful with my use of the word kingdom, though it's certainly in the scriptures and Jesus used it. Yeah. Because we have externalized the word. That's good. So it's not that we shouldn't use it or shouldn't say it, but it can't be the only thing we say. Because people think they're building God's kingdom when they cover up sexual abuse. Really, they really believe that. Mm. So they believe it because if that were exposed, it would destroy this kingdom. And this is God's kingdom. We can't do that. Right, right. So we end up hiding, protecting sin to build God's kingdom, which is a head scratcher if you really think about it. Mm -hmm. But it's done very easily. It's done very easily. And I think this is true for all of us. You know, we study the scriptures, we read, we hear speakers, we do whatever. We become very easy with certain words. Yeah. And we stop examining what God meant when he said them, (laughs) what I mean when I say them, or what somebody else means. How is it being used? Yeah. And his kingdom is holy. Mm -hmm. And eventually it will be without blemish at all. Yeah. So if building his kingdom means covering up the blemishes so nobody can help heal, that's not his kingdom. Right. He does surgery. Yeah. That's a good reminder for me. It really, really is. I do use that term a lot and I have been digging in a little bit more to the scriptures to make sure that I'm using it accurately (laughs) (laughs) and in its rightful place. So that is definitely a very good reminder. All right. As we kind of wrap up the rest of this interview, I want you to speak to that person who has experienced the misuse of power or abuse within the church. And what kind of encouragement would you give them? What would you just like to say to that person who's listening, who maybe has experienced that misuse of power? Well, I guess I would first want to say that such things break my heart. Mm -hmm. And that I am keenly aware that anybody who has suffered abuse in any form, any time, any place, is a human being literally knit together by our father's hands in their mother's womb. They, everyone, every human, Mm -hmm. skin, gender, status, economics, doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Everyone is precious. So whoever you are, that's who you are. And nobody takes that away. They can make you feel like you're not worth anything because of the way they treat you. But it's a lie because they can't touch that. Mm -hmm. No human has the power to touch that. You make it look like they did, but they can't. They can't take it away. Mm -hmm. And as that precious person created by him on purpose, they're loved. They may have experienced no sign of that in a human being growing up or in other situations, or in their marriage. But it doesn't make it not true. (laughs) They may not be loved by anybody else they can think of. Mm -hmm. There are people with lives like that. I've met them. But he loves them. And he protects his lambs. And by that, I don't mean he doesn't let ruinous things happen to us. Look what he let happen to his son. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that it's not protection like that, but he, he wants their hearts and he wants them to know who he is and who he says they are. And though it comes after that depends, you know, most people need to seek safe places. They need to find some healing. They need to recapture their voice that's God-given. They may decide to speak openly or not, which is their call about the abuse, all of those things. But the bedrock things are first. And then you find a safe human who understands abuse, who understands trauma, who will walk that walk with you, and you get to decide what to do with your story. You can keep it private and work for healing. You can tell the world and work for healing and everything in between. There's no perfect right way there. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, I think that's definitely going to be an encouragement to somebody who's listening. So I really appreciate that, Diane. We're going to wrap up with just a few questions we like to ask people um, at the end of the interview. Before I do that, I just want to say... Thank you so much for the work that you're doing for this resource, that this book that you have given us and written. And there's definitely some challenging themes in here, I think, for a lot for everybody, you know, in, in self-examination, in being really honest about what they've seen or what they've experienced. But I just am praying that it will be such an encouragement. And just like you said, that everyone, everyone is made in, in his image and he loves us just so fiercely. Um, and so I just thank you again for all that the work that you're doing in this area. Really, really appreciate it. For the record, it was a challenge to write. Yeah. Because it required a lot of self-examination to do it. So, mm. for which I'm grateful. Absolutely. I'm going to do what I tell people about and I need to do that too. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's exactly right. I've heard that from a few people just when they're writing that writing is almost processing kind of what <laughs> your own experiences yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. All right. So first question that we wrap up with is what is a resource that you would recommend to us that could be really helpful concerning this topic besides your book, of course? <laughs> well, actually, there's a couple other books that have just come out. One is called Something's Not Right, written by Wade Mullen. And that's partly his story, but also he did a tremendous amount of research on abuse and all kinds of things. It's well worth reading. Mm. And the other one that just recently came out is a Church Called Tove, okay. which was written jointly written by Scott McKnight and Laura Berenger. And it comes out of the Willow Creek stuff. Okay. And Tove is the Hebrew word for good. Oh. So it's a church called good. And then there's an older book that was written by Andy Crouch. That's also, it's called Playing God. And it's about power. Okay. Uh, he wrote that some years ago. I was given that book and I just have never read it yet. Yes. So it's in my bookshelf. Well, yes. Okay. Yes. There you go. So the, all of those I think would be very helpful and come from a little bit different angles. Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay. We will make sure that we list those in the show notes. Um, the second question is just what is a spiritual practice or discipline that you've been really loving lately? I'm afraid it's the same one. <laughs> There's no lately about it. So, a good friend of mine many years ago said something about me to somebody and said she eats books for breakfast. Uh, <laughs> and, and there are jokes about it. I read old theologians. Ooh, I love that. I mean, really old, some of them. So but people talk about me preferring dead guys. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, for example, uh, G. Campbell Morgan is one. I mean, just reading through his commentaries on the Gospels and other things, he was a Scotsman. He, he was um, a man who truly knew the Word of God, mm. truly understood human beings. That is phenomenal combination, both in terms of really understanding the scriptures from that perspective, but also examining your own heart. Yeah. So working through his commentaries or something like that, George Matheson, uh, who was blind, who wrote, Oh, love that will not let me go. Wow. His books are wonderful. Um, anyway, there's probably six or 10 of those dead guys that I, you know, every time I can find a new one by one of them, I read it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Cause so many of us, myself included, kind of like, oh, there's this new book out that I want to get a hold of. But I mean, there's so much wisdom in what people have already written so many years ago. So I really like that. Yes. It's great. Then I, I have supplements. You know, I've probably read Osmond Chambers since I was 14. Mm-hmm. William Grinnell, you know, the whole armor. Anyway, there's just wonderful, wonderful old writings yeah. that really deal with the heart, yeah. not the externals. Oh, that's so good. And that's what I like. I love that. That's awesome. Okay. I don't normally ask people to do this, but I was wondering if you'd be comfortable praying for those who have experienced abuse. Would you be able to do that to close us out? Sure. Ah, wonderful. Father, a scary word for some listening grieves me, but you are the true father and your heart is full of love for your children. And I just ask that you would pursue those listening who have never known a safe person or who have known some and others who wrecked it. Thank you that you came into this ruin that we live in. Thank you that you came in small and not big and scary. Thank you that you had so much love for us. You not only came small, you pursued the least of these and you went to the cross, mm-hmm. all to give us life. So I pray that somewhere in the words today, life will be heard and found and give a tiny taste of hope, and that you will continue in your pursuit and wooing of those who have been taught that you are not who you say you are. They might discover that, in fact, you're way more than has ever been said. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you so much, Diane. I just really appreciate you being on here today. You're welcome. This is a heavy topic and one that could be personally affecting you right now. I want you to know that you are not alone, my friend. And my prayer is that the perfect ways of Jesus and the person of Jesus would become even more real and relevant as we wrestle with our broken world within and outside of the church body. Jesus is the only perfect example, and so it is so important that we draw our conclusions from him alone. As we all grapple with imperfect leaders, I just want to send you a big virtual hug. You are so loved, friends, and I hope that you really heard that throughout the episode. Thank you to Diane for coming on, for sharing with us, and for praying for us. Next episode, in two weeks, we do have the lovely Mary Morantz on the show. And as I mentioned last episode, if you're in the photography world, that name may ring a bell. But she is on the show to talk about her book called Dirt, which tells of her story. And we talk about the power of your story, redemption and reconciliation. I think you're really going to like this episode. Mary is so gracious and lovely. 
I think you're going to love it. Subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss the episode. If you're looking to go further in your faith this week, why not check out the i68 shop to grab some homework, including our Sabbath design workbook, quarterly meeting templates, and our Faith in Motion journal. I think you're going to love some of the items in that shop. Link is in the show notes. If you want to catch me on the socials, you can find me at, at leah.rempel or at faithschoolpod on Instagram or in our Facebook group, Intentional Women of Faith. I am so happy to continue serving you on those platforms. And as a reminder, I am taking some time off of social media until late March. So if you want to keep in touch, make sure you sign up for our email list, which is dun, 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 in the show notes. <laughs> Thank you for spending a little time with us today at Faith School and I68 Ministries. We are praying that you feel fully surrendered today to the God who made you, loves you, and wants to partner with you. Class is now dismissed. Go out there and build his kingdom. We'll see you next time.